Ephesians chapter 12. As we all mill about and drop our kids at Trinity Kids, I want to remind you to please take that green Trinity Connect card. And whether you're a member or this is your first week here, please fill this out. There will be a drawing for a new SUV for anybody who fills this out. And uh, I fully expect to see um, every one of you drop one of those in the offering plate when it comes down after the sermon. In preparation for our marriage conference, October 5th and 6th at the Doubletree Hotel downtown, I'm challenging you to face the elephants for the sake of your family. What are the issues or problems beneath the surface of your family life together that if left unaddressed will wreak havoc in your home? Have you ever heard the metaphor, a bowl in a china cabinet? You ever heard that metaphor? It doesn't compare to an elephant in the living room. The image of an elephant in the room is a little absurd, of course, because it's trying to make a point. That we all have sophisticated ways of trying to obtain the vision of the good life. We manipulate, we control, we nag, we get angry, we get possessive, we get jealous, we get selfish, we get unloving toward those who get in the way. And what you and I do as individuals affects others because we are part of a family. And if you don't have a biological family, well, then this church is your family. Every one of our family contexts has issues. Every family has elephants in the room. And I don't know what your elephant might be. I don't know all of your stories and the intricacies of your family, but I want you to have the courage and the confidence to face the elephant for the sake of your family so that you have the courage and the confidence to go to this marriage conference, ready to learn and grow and develop as a husband or a wife or a future husband or a future wife or one who helps shepherd husbands and wives in their marriages. So are you willing to take the step with me? One more step this morning? If you are, let's stand if you're willing and able, and we'll read from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and then Romans chapter 12. This is the word of the Lord. Please give attention to it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst as a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. And then Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. Parenting is the hardest thing I have ever done. I've been to grad school. I've tutored future doctors for the MCAT exams in physics and chemistry. I've taken standardized tests, MCAT, GRE. I've taken organic chemistry. I've taken all these hard classes. Some of you have fought in wars. Some of you have composed symphonies. Some of you have litigated in some of the highest courts in the United States of America as attorneys. None of that holds a candle to parenting. Amen? No one told me how hard parenting would be. Actually, that's not true. I just didn't listen. When you're in school, your professor gives you a syllabus. When you're at work, you have a proposal, you have a plan, you have a guide, you have policies. But when it's three in the morning and you're holding your crying child or you're changing a diaper or you're going to get them in the middle of the night or you're crying with them, there is no manual for that. Are you with me? What makes parenting so difficult is its radical unpredictability. I remember when the Texas Giant was first built at Six Flags in Dallas, and I could not wait to ride that roller coaster. And if you've ever been on it, it was the largest wooden roller coaster at the time, and tick, 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 it took the car to the top of the height of the Texas Giant, and it plunged you down below. That's all I knew about the Giant. I was going to go really high and really low, and after that, who knew what happened? And that's exactly what parenting is like. One moment, you can be sky high. It's amazing. One moment, it is just like, this is what it's all about. This is beautiful. Your, your kids are doing great. And then the next moment, woof, meltdown. Your toddler is hungry. Your child is screaming because they can't communicate. You're Adolescents fighting for independence. Your young adult child is trying to figure out what they're going to do with their life. Your adult children are in counseling because of all the hurt they experienced because of your parenting. I mean, parenting is, is like that. It's unpredictable. The highest highs and the lowest lows. No doubt. Parenting is the holiest and the most harrowing experience in our lives. And I love it, don't you? I've talked to so many of you who are empty nesters, and I, you've told me that you never stop being a parent. You know, you, you, you say, well, marriage is interesting, yes, but parenting is so unique. It's, it's, like, it's like, just like Satan and Job, uh, Satan and uh, the Lord discussed about Job, how to help Job uh, you know, distance himself from the goodness of God. It's like Satan comes to God with each of us, and he came to me, and he says, you know, uh, you've given Blake a pretty good life. You've put him in the confines of the church, and yeah, he has to deal with a lot of hard stuff, but it's all spiritual and emotional and psychological. Like, how about, 
I, I got, how about I give him a child? I'll put him to the north, and I'll give him another one, and I'll put him to the south. And I'll give him a third, and I'll put him to the east, and I'll give him a fourth, and I'll put him to the west, and we'll hem him in. As parents, in your marriage, you got to date your spouse. You got to pick your spouse. You had criteria for your spouse, but you did not pick your children. Because you know what would happen if you did? Things would be far worse. Because God gave you exactly what you needed. He gave you a full-blown sanctification kit, complete with hormones and testosterone and pimples and cries in the middle of the night just for you to make you more and more like Jesus. To raise children, we need help because parenting is no doubt the holiest and the most harrowing experience in our life. And it's a battle, isn't it? I mean, just think of the cultural battleground in which we raise our children today with technology and sexuality and materialism and gender confusion and depression and cutting and obesity and eating disorders and drug abuse. And then there's our own mess, right? Divorced families and abusive families of origin and what a battle it is to raise our children. And all the joys and all the difficulties can be heartbreaking. And some of you in this room have lost children. You've lost children in your 20s. Some of you have lost children in your 30s. Some of you were not even able to bring your child home from the hospital. And some of you in this room don't have children. And you may be thinking, this sermon doesn't apply to you. And you would be wrong. Because every time we take, we baptize a covenant child, we take a vow together in this church. And the vow says, do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting these parents in the Christian nurture and admonition of this child? To which we all answer, we do. I heard a story of one of you this week without children who is making in their home a room with toys in it that can be completely destroyed and torn apart. They're making space in their room for your children so that when you come over to their house, there's a place for your children to play so that the adults can just dwell together and spend time together. You know what that is? That is beautiful. That is the gospel at work. So do not think, if you do not have children, this doesn't apply to you because every one of those children in Trinity Kids and every child you see in this service. They are yours too to help raise. Whether you have kids or not, you have the responsibility of a parent because you're a member of this church. And how can it be done? There's only one way. We have a father. And we are children. And as we parent, we are being parented. Because every moment of parenting, somebody is parenting you. And the real narrative behind any sermon on parenting is not you raising your children. It's God raising you. Are you with me? Hello? Thank you. So, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 again together like we looked at two weeks ago. And we're going to look at the kind of parents God raises. 
The background of Deuteronomy chapter 6 I talked about a couple of weeks ago. You're welcome to listen to that sermon again and hear it. I'm just going to jump right in. What kind of parents does God raise? First, God raises parents who teach their children the truth. The first truth that children need to understand is that they are children of God. The other day, I was taking my kids home, all four of them. Oh, man, it's hard to preach when stuff is just so dear to your heart. I was taking my kids home, and we were driving home, and all four of my kids were in my car, and um, we, were, we were passing the last place of business before you get to the main street that goes to our house. And we're driving, and, and just before we passed, I turned my clicker on, slammed on the brakes, and I turned into Brahms. And the car erupted. Yeah! It was beyond their bedtime. I said, we're getting milkshakes. Yeah! Milkshakes! Yeah! It was awesome. And they were freaking out. It was like mass hysteria in the backseat of my car. And all of a sudden, into the chaos, one of my children broke through and says, wait, Dad, does Mom know you're doing this? (laughs) And I pulled up to the window, and... uh, I I said, who's the best dad in the world? Who's the best dad in the world? And they go, uh, not you, God. I said, yeah, 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 I know. And then Annie interrupted. She goes, actually, you're, you're, you're not second even. You're fourth because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, but, but God's a spirit because he does have a body like men. So now I'm third. And the son, well, he's a son. So now I'm at least second, right? And the whole way home in our car, we talked about the doctrine of the Trinity. And it was Brahms milkshakes and the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. And it made me think of the verse, you shall teach them diligently. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your, in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you know what the Hebrew says? And when you're driving home from Brahms. Listen, the Industrial Revolution changed families forever. For millennia, families worked together, ate together, slept together, lived together. And for almost 200 years now, since the Industrial Revolution radically changed the landscape of the Western world, mothers and fathers leave their house every day to go to work, don't they? And it's possible as a mother or father who works full-time, perhaps both of you do, that you have radically different lives where you work. And when you're at home. And there are some professions, some professions that still practice in a way where the worker cannot separate his family life from his professional life or his calling or his career. And frankly, ministry is one of those. I mean, some of you who go to work, you can have your, you have your firm fooled, you have your culture, your corporate culture fooled, you have everything fooled. Everybody there thinks you're terrific. And a pastor can have his church fooled where everybody thinks, man, that was awesome. And I can go home on a Sunday and think, that was the best service we've ever had. Man, I really felt like the sermon connected with people. And I get home and my kids go, Dad, it was kind of long. I've heard that illustration before. And it wasn't right the first time. It's kind of boring. Built in are these beautiful sanctification machines, and they're precious. 
And if you're going to teach your children the truth, you know how you first teach your children the truth? I know you're all looking for the book on parenting because we've all bought them and they fly off the shelf. The pastor wants to write a book on parenting, it will sell. The problem with many of the books on parenting is that the first thing you need to do in order to teach your children the truth is you have to be a person of integrity yourself. So that the person that they see at work and the person that they see at home is the exact same person and they're never fooled. You want to teach them theology? Then show them through your own self-awareness that you need the gospel. The challenge to parenting is not fixing kids. It's fixing you. You can hide from your kids. and You can tell them that you believe the gospel. But if you're duplicitous, they can smell through your, your, through your hypocrisy. You know, marriage is hard because, you know, it's, they're always there. <laughs> They're always there, late at night. They're there, early in the morning, that they're there. It's unrelenting. It's like the paperwork lady in Monsters, Inc. You know the scene where she goes, I'm watching you, Wazowski. Always watching you. That's like what it is as a parent. They see through the veneer, and they know when you are acting like an orphan and not a child, of God. The fundamental need for our, uh, is for a child to have a parent who has been changed by the radical love of their father. You are not God's tool to change little sinners in your house so much as God is using parenting to change the biggest sinner in the house, who is you. And unless you have the light of self-awareness, parents will never know that they are a child of the father. And if they don't know that, then parenting is going to be a grind for you. You teach your children by the self-awareness of your own need for teaching and reproof and correction. One person wrote this. It is the father love of God that frees us from living in denial of our weaknesses and allows us to admit our deep failure and our love to lead our children. If a key part of your righteousness strategy is that you are a good parent, if your kids turn out great, then I have bad news for you. Their greatness was not due to you. It was due to the grace of God. And your children are a mess. Well, it's because you're a mess. And it's, if it's foolish, it's because you're foolish. The acorn doesn't fall, fall from the tree. And our hearts are harder and our rebellion is deeper. And when you can admit that, you begin to become the kind of parent God raises. Sometimes older parents will tell me that they're frustrated by their, their teenager or their young adult or their adult child, that how they're making decisions that are just destroying and crushing the image of the good life that they had for their family. And somewhere along the way in the conversation, I'll ask them, what do you think the Lord is trying to teach you in this? And sometimes I get a pretty fierce and honest reaction. Well, Pastor, I didn't come here to, for you to ask me questions about me. I came here to get help. I came here to get some wisdom. I was the head of the PTA. I worked full time and I got home in time for my kids to get off the bus. I baked cookies. I, 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 and they just brim over with self-righteousness. The child who grows up with parents that never admits that they're wrong or never shows them what repentance looks like is not providing them with an adequate model for how to fail. And when our, parent, when our children leave and they go to college, 
if they grow up in a church that's never allowed them to fail and never give them models for how to grow in repentance, then when they do fail in college, they're at a total loss. And they feel like the, best ne- the next best thing is just simply to walk away from the faith. Because they see the hypocrisy in your life, and it doesn't give them resources to be able to practice repentance in their own. In Ephesians 6.4, it's a verse that many of us know by heart. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And some of us know the next verse. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Do not provoke them to anger. And nothing provokes a child to anger like discipline them for something that you always do. The other night in our house, I got angry with my kids. You would not believe what they were doing. They were you will not believe this. I shudder to even mention it, that they were up beyond their bedtime in their beds reading. And I got angry. I was tired. It was late. And I scolded my oldest two pretty good. Don't you know that we have rules in this house? The lights are out at this time. And did you just do it? And it was like they just kind of looked at me and said, Daddy... We're reading to go to sleep. And we're pretty sure that every night mom beats you to sleep because you're reading a book until you fall asleep too. <laughs> Brimming with self-righteousness. Dave Allender is a, um, is a pastor and um, Christian counselor and he pastors and counsels many psychologists himself, many pastors, and he has a college named after him. And he tells a story about when he went to his eight-year-old daughter's piano recital. And um, uh, she got into the part in her piano recital where she just completely forgot where she was. She stopped. She didn't know what to do. It was embarrassing for everybody that was at the recital. And so she started again. She cranked along until she got to the exact same spot. And the same thing happened. Totally lost. And he describes the aftermath. He says, I was furious and ashamed. After the last performance of the recital, we ate the obligatory stale cookies and had some of the pink punch and milled about congratulating children and parents. No one seemed to know what to do with my daughter and us. And this only intensifies my sense of being an alien, a musical idiot, the herd of an undisciplined family. My perspective was so deranged and my reaction at the time was so out of kilter that I knew that there was nothing I could do except get out of there. So I walked to the car ahead of my wife and children. And near my car, my daughter, Annie, grabbed my jacket and rolled me around and said, you hate me, don't you? Why are you so ashamed of me? And the piano recital created a confrontation between the dad and me, the fat, stupid, unattractive kid. Allender writes, I was a bully who had few friends and who spent a great deal of my time reading, watching television, and eating Oreos. And I didn't like the me of childhood, and I promised that my kids would be healthy, i.e. thin, love to learn, Straight-A students. And caring. Popular. And it's amazing how we can have reasonable and honorable goals for our children, which are little more than our commitment to finally set to rights. 
our painful past. Listen, what a mess we are as parents. And in our attempt to find security and to use our kids to find fulfillment, the great reversal happens. It's the great reversing of the umbilical cord. And we suck meaning and life and fulfillment from our children rather than give it to them. Parenting is a terrible strategy for feeling good about yourself. We overparent, we overindulge our children because we need them to like us, and then we scold our children because we want to make ourselves feel good about our parenting. Are you self-aware as a parent? There's a pastor friend of mine who lives in Florida and um, told me the story about uh, an older retired couple in his family in his church. And the son came to visit them and he, he uh, had a conversation with the son. And the son said to my friend, he says, I do not know what has happened to my parents. I don't even know my father, who is now in his late 70s at the time. He's different. Growing up, he was harsh. He was brutally rude. He was unloving. He never said a word of affection to me. But now when I visit him, I don't know what's happened to him, but he's different. This church has changed him. He's softened. He's humble. He came to me last weekend and apologized to me. And I don't know what's going on in his heart, but you're going to be seeing more of me because I can't wait to get down here to see my dad because I just want to dwell with him and learn from him for the very first time in my life. You want to teach your children the truth. You learn to live lives of integrity. And you do that by becoming self-aware of your need for the gospel of grace yourself. The narrative of the story is not you raising children. It is God raising you through your parenting of your children. It's the first thing you need to know. Number two, God raises parents who discipline children in community. And I can already tell you, I'm not going to get through all four points, so we'll stop after the second one. God raises parents who discipline children in community. When I use the term discipline, I mean disciple, teach, correct, shape, mold, contour their hearts. I mean raise them up in the nurture and admonition of God's word. Israel was to shape their children in covenant community in Deuteronomy. Moses stands before the second generation and he says to them, your parents sought other gods. That's why they are not with us, brothers and sisters. They died wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They said, God, we will go with our own map and our own way. And God said, okay, go for it. And he led them to wander for 40 years until the next generation comes and, Deuteron- and, and Moses stands at the edge of the promised land and he gives them the law for the second time. He commends to them, just like what the psalmist said in Psalm 145, one generation shall commend your works to another, and you shall declare his mighty deeds. The beautiful thing about raising children in community is that we need it, and the older that you get, the more that you need it. No matter how resourceful your family is, you need it. You know, if you were to give my children a a kind of spiritual DNA test, we'd, we'd be in there somewhere. But I'm beginning even now with my children, the ages that they are, that they are doing things that Lord and I, that's not us. 
I can look at my children and I can say, that's their grandmother coming out in her. And what's even more beautiful for us is I can look at my children now and I can see how Joanne Delorier and Dina Eschbach and James and Katie Kyobarth and Amanda Weber, all of those who train my children in Trinity Kids, I can begin to see them come out. So when they do things, I'm like, that's a Kyobarth trait. That's a Weber trait. That's a Delorier trait. If you were to give my kids a spiritual DNA test, you would be all over them. Because it takes a village, it takes a church to raise a child. And parents, we know how tired you are, and we long to be a church in this community. Maybe more than anything else I've learned as we planted this church, we've got to be a church that provides resources for parents because it's relentless and it's hard. And every single one of us have the responsibility of parents, whether you have a child in your house right now or not. There was a group of uh, parents who wanted to start a school for their children, and they uh, set out to have this mission statement. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the end of his life, of her life. The end of their life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom of their heart as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Isn't that beautiful? Wouldn't you love to send your children to a school like that? Do you know where that is? Harvard. 1636. And just a couple of years ago, for the first time in Harvard's history, a majority of the students did not profess any branch of Christianity as their preference of religion. When we say that we want to um, lay things at the bottom of our children's hearts, it means the default mode of your family speaks a theology. It is the culture of your family. When you want things to stay put in the Oklahoma wind, you get sandbags, and you lay it on whatever is you're trying to keep up amidst that wind. And when you're training children, you lay the truth of the gospel like sandbags into the winds of the world so that it will stand straight when the gale force winds come. And to do that, it takes everybody together. We cannot do it alone. There are no Lone Ranger families or Lone Ranger Christians. We commit to do this together. And I'm putting this out there for you. This is what God's word tells us to do. Deuteronomy is shot through with covenant language. And Romans chapter 12 says that you are to give your bodies as spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. And for each of you, that means something different. Some of you, he may be calling to start something new for the sake of our children. Some of you may have a stirring from the Holy Spirit to do something amazing for children, to reform the way your family does child rearing. Do it. Don't turn your ears away from the Holy Spirit, but listen to him and allow him to apply the gospel to your heart through your own gifts and unique qualities that he has given to you. I don't have your gifts. Please use yours for the sake of our covenant kids. We need everybody together to be able to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and sound learning. Every school you send your kids to, by the way, is a religious school. Every school teaches a theology. And what makes a school Christian is not if there's a chapel in it or not. 
What makes a school Christian is that if they can talk about how God is the center of math and art and science and every subject that they study, God is the bedrock truth of it. And if you send your kids to public school parents, let me share with you, there's no better place to disciple your children than help them to learn that in public school, they had the opportunity to apply the gospel every day as they listen to their teachers teach them truth because you're the one shaping their worldview because if you don't, their worldview will be shaped. If you send your children to private school, let me share something with you. The temptation is for them to mold your children's character after a set of attributes. But if you aren't teaching your children how to integrate the gospel into every subject area of their life, they will be shaped by something that's not the gospel, even in a religious school. If you send your kid to a classical school, if you send your kid, if you homeschool your children, please, let me share with you that it is your responsibility and duty. Sometimes it's even harder because your parent and teacher to mold and shape and teach your children the four foundational questions of their life. Who are they? Where are they? What is wrong with the world? And how does it get fixed? And you are to lay that at the bottom of their heart so that they are able to answer those questions when the gale force winds come at them. And they're able to stand straight because you laid Christ at the bottom. And that takes a community. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of our faculties are used. Jonathan Edwards described it like this. We are to use everything for the good and the glory and grandeur of God. All that is spoken in the scriptures as an ultimate end of God's works is included in that one phrase, the glory of God. The refulgence shines upon and into the creature and is reflected back to the luminary. The beams of glory come from God and are something of God and are to be refunded back again to their original so that the whole is of God and in God and to God and God is the beginning, the middle, and the end. Algebra 2, milkshakes from Brahms, driving to soccer, it is all ripe for theological education. What are you laying at the bottom of your children? Hampton Sides wrote a book a couple of years ago it's called The Kingdom of Ice. It tells a story of how on July the 8th, 1878, I think, 1878, 1879, uh, there's a, a captain whose name is George Washington DeLong. And George Washington DeLong um, uh, led the USS um, uh, Janet um, uh, to this amazing uh, journey. They believed at the time that there was uh, a Gulf Stream a warm water Gulf Stream that went up around Japan, Siberia, through the North Pole. And like the Caribbean Gulf Stream, it was warm and brimming with life. And so the USS Janet set, a, set off from San Francisco. A quarter of the town was there. They had this amazing fanfare. They're all there to see Captain DeLong take this ship uh, up to the North Pole through this warm water Gulf Stream. And they had an 11-gun salute, and off sails the USS Janet. Janet. And they sail on for hundreds of miles until they hit an ice pack, and their ship gets stuck in the ice, and they all die because DeLong had the wrong map. What map are you using? 
Friends, God's word is not to teach us every intricate detail of every subject matter in the world. That's not what it was intended to teach. But it was to teach you who are you, where are you, what's wrong with the world, and how does it get fixed. And unless you're self-aware as a parent, you will not be a parent of integrity equipped to train your children in the truth. Unless you're self-aware as a parent, you will not be ready to admit that you need the community to help you. You will brim with self-righteousness and you will destroy your children. So let's be the kind of church where we have security as parents, not from our righteousness, but we get it from the word of God that teaches us, first of all, that we are children who are being parented because we have a good father. And we can discipline them in the hard things. We can shape them, we can lead them and discipline them and and parent them rightly to set the contours of their behavior and to lay Christ at the bottom of their heart. I have a friend who teaches at a seminary and he asks his students to tell them about their parents the very first day of class. And one student recently said, I was conceived in an adulterous affair. My mother got pregnant and when she told my father, he said, I want nothing to do with it. Where do you get your security? We have a father who doesn't call you it. He calls you his beloved. Greater man hath no one than this, that he lay his life down. If you being evil, Jesus says in Matthew 7, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give good gifts to you? Behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called children of God? And so we are. Amen. Father, we need your help. Would you help us to be the kind of parents that you want to raise? Help us to be people of integrity. Help us to be willing to admit our weaknesses. Help us to find our righteousness for our parenting in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.